Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we're going to cover the vanishing twin syndrome. Vanishing Twin Syndrome, first described by Stockel in 1945, is the identification of a multifetal gestation with the subsequent disappearance of one or more fetuses. The rate of multifetal gestation at conception is higher than the incidence noted at birth. Vanishing Twin Syndrome has been diagnosed more frequently since the use of universal ultrasound, especially in the early part of pregnancy. Now, in vitro fertilization techniques have improved the understanding of Vanishing Twin Syndrome because these pregnancies are closely monitored and the number of implanted fertilized eggs is obviously known. Now, in vanishing twin syndrome, there may be complete resorption of a fetus, formation of a fetus papricious, that's a mummified remain, or development of a subtle abnormality on the placenta, like a cyst, a subchorionic fibrin deposition, or even some amorphous material. All right, so let's start off right away with a clinical pearl. The timing of this event significantly affects the outcome of the viable twin and the maternal complications. For example, if the event occurs during the second half of pregnancy, the fetus could develop cerebral palsy or aplasia cutis, and the mother could develop preterm labor, infection, postpartum hemorrhage, or even consumptive coagulopathy. Let's review the likely pathophysiology of this vanishing twin syndrome. Abnormalities that result in the disappearance of a fetus usually appear to present from early in development rather than occurring from an acute insult. Placental or fetal analysis frequently reveal chromosomal abnormalities. These abnormalities can include diploidy, triploidy, and alternative sex chromosome abnormalities on placental pathology, skin biopsies, and chorionic villi sampling. However, most of the studies actually find that the viable twin chromosomes are actually normal. So, it's thought that the vanishing twin likely possesses a chromosomal abnormality resulting in early disappearance. Okay, before we go any further, we do have to state the likely frequency of this condition because it's thought initially to be quite rare, but that's actually not the case. The frequency of multiple gestations is about 3 to 5% at 8 weeks, but vanishing twin syndrome can occur in as high as 30% of multifetal gestations. Research from a European series of pregnancies associated with assisted reproductive technology, or ART, actually showed that 10 to 15% of singleton births actually started out as a twin gestation. So it's not as rare as you might think. Well, what about morbidity or mortality associated with this condition? Well, morbidity when vanishing twin syndrome occurs during the first trimester is actually quite limited. The mother is most likely to develop mild vaginal bleeding and some cramping in the first trimester. But if the event occurs later than the first trimester, morbidity can be similar to that of the second and third trimesters, which can include bleeding, preterm birth, and in worse and extreme cases, coagulative abnormalities. 
Now, we have to be very clear here. Of course, there's some maternal morbidity if she carries a deceased fetus, especially if it occurs, as we've just discussed, late in the first trimester or in the early second, and especially in the third trimester. But what about fetal morbidity and fetal mortality? Well, in addition to loss of the twin, the surviving fetus has an increased risk of issues as well, likely cerebral palsy, particularly if the vanishing twin syndrome occurs during the second half of pregnancy. Now, other forms of morbidity reported in the surviving twin are aplasia cutis or areas of skin necrosis in twins connected through vascular connection by placental anastomosis. Now, remember, this is most likely in monochorionic twins temporary hypotension in the surviving twin at the time of fetal demise of the vanishing twin can lead to poor perfusion and skin necrosis. In the same way that hypoperfusion at the moment of single twin death can lead to alterations in brain development and perfusion, setting that surviving child up for the risk of cerebral palsy. All right, look, this issue with cerebral palsy is obviously frightening and disheartening. So I want to dive into that a little bit more in the next session. Now, we do have to remember that this is most likely when the vanishing twin or death of the second twin happens in the second or third trimester. Thankfully, most of the time, the surviving twin is just fine. But let's dive into this issue of cerebral palsy in the surviving twin next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Researchers proposed that vanishing twin syndrome could result in spastic cerebral palsy in the remaining twin. Now remember that cerebral palsy is the most common hypothesized pathological clinical sequelae of the viable twin in a vanishing twin syndrome. A possible mechanism is a transfusion of thromboplastic proteins from the vanishing twin to the surviving twin, leading to a type of DIC in the survivor. Researchers hypothesize that DIC results from reverse blood flow from the macerated twin to the viable twin, thus carrying thromboplastins into the circulation. This large thromboplastin load is theorized to lead to a state of DIC in that surviving twin, which can then lead to altered CNS damage. Now, another proposed mechanism for CNS injury involves large amounts of blood loss from the vanishing twin and the surviving twin hemodynamic parameters. This transfusion could cause wide fluctuation in intravascular pressure, leading to interventricular hemorrhage that can result in turn in CP. Cerebral impairment in the survivor has also been linked to confirmed cases of vanishing twin with impairment on the Griffin's mental developmental scale and the optimality score. So this is something can actually be traced, diagnosed, and followed up. Now, there's also, outside of cerebral palsy, some other associated congenital anomalies. 
a link in children with cerebral palsy and other congenital anomalies is possible. In one series, the relative risk for congenital anomalies, including microcephaly, isolated hydrocephaly, and even cleft lip and palate, increased over baseline from a relative risk of about 1.3 to about 116, depending on the specific defect. These anomalies are postulated to be due in part to changes in fetal flow in the surviving twin at the time of loss of the vanishing twin. So let's say that again. Not only does neurological injury seem to be an issue or a risk in the surviving twin, but a whole range of congenital anomalies can also occur because of changes in blood flow once that fetus vanishes and the survivor is left alone. Now, what about this issue of aplasia acutis? Well, the mechanism of development of aplasia acutis is most likely, and we've already discussed it, these vascular changes. There is thought to be decreased perfusion to the affected area at the time of demise of the vanishing twin. Most case reports include a fetal pepratius as the vanishing twin. And again, that's a mummified fetus. I know, these issues sound terrible for the surviving twin. Cerebral palsy risk, associated congenital anomalies, and even aplasia acutis in the survivor sound terrible, and they are. Now remember, though, that overall, the vast majority of surviving twins are just fine, and that morbidity is tied to when that death of that fetus occurs. Remember, the lowest morbidity is in the first trimester. Nonetheless, patients need to know that there can be potential issues in the surviving twin, and that's part of patient education as well as preparation for what may occur in the survivor. The vanishing twin syndrome is, of course, likely diagnosed by ultrasound. Ultrasound is used to confirm the diagnosis of early twin pregnancy. Follow-up ultrasound reveals the pregnancy loss as a vanishing twin. Now, in addition, after diagnosing first trimester bleeding, ultrasound is vital before proceeding just to DNC to ensure that bleeding has not occurred from just loss of a single fetus in a multifetal gestation and, of course, to rule out other causes of first trimester bleeding like an ectopic pregnancy. In terms of subsequent prenatal care, remember that a vanishing twin can also affect aneuploidy studies. Recent vanishing twins have been shown to increase pregnancy-associated plasma protein, or PAP-A, and free beta-8-CG. So this may affect risk assessment for aneuploidy in the surviving fetus. Alpha fetal protein or AFP levels are also elevated compared with values at similar junctions in a singleton pregnancy and in a normal twin pregnancy. The rate of rise of beta human chorionic gonadotropin, of course, will also be slower than in a normal twin pregnancy. Lastly, it is possible that even amniocentesis could be flawed in these cases because of the placental mosaism that may be possible. Therefore, an abnormal karyotype at times may come from a placental mosaism issue when the surviving fetus is in fact normal. All to say that there may be altered genetic testings in cases in which a vanishing twin syndrome has occurred. 
Guys, let's wrap up this podcast with a quick summary of follow-up pregnancy care for these cases. Uncomplicated vanishing twin syndromes requires no special medical care. Now, if a mummified fetus or a fetus papyracious does remain, the pregnancy should be followed closely with serial ultrasonographic evaluations for the surviving twin. Risks that we've already discussed include preterm labor, obstruction of labor, or even death to the surviving fetus due to placental abruption or intramniotic infection. The fetus is also at risk for low birth weight and small for gestational age with increasing risk in the surviving twin for vanishing twin occurring later in gestation. The provider should watch carefully for infection and consumptive coagulopathy. Remember, All pregnant women should be instructed to seek medical care in these cases for episodes of vaginal bleeding, cramping, and of course, new onset pelvic pain. The viable twin should receive specialized medical care as indicated by initial physical exam and subsequent mental and physical development. Remember, we've already addressed this, that surviving co-twins had poorer scores on the Griffith's mental developmental scale when compared with singleton pregnancies in these cases. The vanishing twin syndrome is a heartbreaking event when patients first find out that they have twins and then one has been lost. These patients require close follow-up and remember to give them counseling that should the issue occur late in the first trimester, second, or obviously the third trimester, there is an increased level of risk in the survivor twin. In this session, we have covered the vanishing twin syndrome. Data for this material has come from ACOG and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.